Today, you have a chance to become a premium member of the podcast. Click one of the premium membership levels and you can get everything from a free book by an ag arts artist to free postcards to extra bonus interviews to the chance to have a piece of writing critiqued by me and a free workshop or reading by Mary Swander. So go to those show notes, scroll down and click to become a premium member. Thank you so much for your support. I have a special announcement today. This podcast has a new look and a new name. The podcast is the same podcast, but what was formerly Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land is now Mary Swander's Buggy Land. Less of a mouthful, I think, and better coordinated with my Substack page called Mary Swander's Buggy Land. So how about that? Mary Swander's Buggy Land is now both a podcast you can access wherever you get your podcasts and a Substack page you can access at substack.com. We have a jazzy new logo on both sites. I drove the designer nuts getting the buggy to look like the free Martintown buggies and not the buggies on the horse and buggy traffic warning sign. Look closely. The free Martintown buggies have a window on the side so that the Amish can see if a car is trying to pass them. A huge detail. Too many cars try to pass them in unsafe conditions. When the road is too narrow, too slippery with mud or ice, or on a hill. Do not pass a buggy on a hill. You just can't see that other buggy or car or corn picker coming at you. The paper has been warning against that trick for at least a hundred years. But do listen to Mary Swander's Buggy Land podcast on hills or flat stretches, on freeways or back roads. If you're a subscriber, you'll still get the podcast. Again, nothing has changed but the name and logo. The picture of the laundry strung between the barns is gone. The perfect free Martintown buggy has replaced it. If you want a picture of laundry blowing in the wind, come and visit our studio in downtown Free Martintown. Stop in, tell us a story, drive around the countryside on a Monday, wash day. Stay with us, stay well. The corn is almost planted now, 70% the radio said this morning, but for the organic fellows. Planning too early when you're doing organic just brings up the weeds, my neighbor Malin told me the other day. Good, I thought. I'm always a bit late in my planting. Lazy farmer girl. So here's a tune by Buster Carter and Preston Young called a Lazy Farmer Boy to enjoy while we plant the corn. 
I will sing a little song, but it ain't very long About a lazy farmer wouldn't hold his corn And why it was, I never could tell For that young man was always well That young man was always well He planted his corn on June the last In July it was up to his eye In September there came a big frost And all that young man's corn was lost All that young man's corn was lost He started to the field and he got that last. The grass and the weeds was up to his chin. The grass and the weeds had grown so high. Called that poor man for to sigh. Called that poor man for to sigh. Now his courtship had just begun Saying, young man, have you hold your corn? I've tried, I've tried, I've tried in vain But I don't believe I'll raise one grain Don't believe I'll raise one grain Why do you come to me to wed if you can't raise your own cornbread? Single I am and will remain for lazy man I won't maintain, lazy man I won't maintain. He hung his head and walked away, saying, I miss you, rule the day, you rule the day that you was born. Forgive me the devil, cause I wouldn't hold my call. Give me the devil, cause I wouldn't hold my call. Now his courtship was to an end, on his way he then began, saying, kind miss, I'll have another girl if I have to ramble this big wide world, if I have to ramble this big wide world. Well, the Iowa legislature planted a lot of seeds this season and stirred up lots of weedy opposition on a lot of fronts. Most of the bills were purely political, except perhaps for the raw milk ordinance. I'm glad for that one. And we can't cry over spilled milk. But I couldn't help but reflect on the ways that the Amish organize themselves so differently. They try to keep politics out of their elections. So here's my response. Today I watched a video of a trans adolescent in tears, reporting bullying. They said I was disgusting. They said I shouldn't exist. They spewed hateful, horrible words at me. And I didn't say anything. I was too angry, too afraid to do anything. But I'm not disgusting, and I do have a right to exist. Here we go. The presidential campaigns ramping up one political party fighting another with negative ads and issues, taking a deep dive into the culture wars. 
The United States has a rich history of democracy, a model for the world. But why do we play out our strength in the ditch? Why do we inevitably pick on marginalized people, whether immigrants, people of color, women, the disabled, gays, lesbians, or transgender people? In turn, why do we stereotype fundamentalists and rural people? Both parties know that people want to feel superior to someone. Scapegoating has been an age-old manipulative political ploy. Do we really need such polarized political parties dueling away with each other in the muck and mud? One year when I was in academe, we were headed into the election of a new department chair. Antagonisms, old wounds, long histories of rivalries, lobbying efforts, and backroom arm twisting were all in full force. I hated walking through the hallway. You could feel the tension stick to the blackboards in the classrooms. Do you know how the Amish elect their bishops? I offered at a departmental meeting. Amish bishops are the authority figures for each church district. They serve as the main minister and interpret the rules for the community. Bishops have a great deal of power, but they also carry a great burden. They preach every Sunday for every wedding and funeral, attend to the sick and the poor, they arbitrate disputes, and keep everyone on track, living lives in accordance with a common belief system. At the same time, the bishops attempt to maintain their own families and farms. It's a big, exhausting job. Upon the death of a former bishop, the Amish call a meeting to elect a new one, an elder stationed at the door. The members of the community enter the room, whispering the name of a nominee into the elder's ear. Then the nominees are all called forward, gathering around a table where an equal number of Bibles are placed. A slip of paper is placed inside one of the Bibles. Then the elder mixes them up, slipping and sliding the sacred books around the surface of the table until no one knows where the paper has gone. The nominees draw Bibles, and the one who finds the piece of paper inside is named Bishop for life. Finally, the whole community lines up one by one. They approach the new bishop, shape his hand, and tell him how sorry they are that he has to assume the duties of the job. Why don't we try something like that? I asked the department. They laughed. Swander wants to change the whole system. A colleague chuckled. That's right. I did. Obviously, the Amish don't have a perfect system. The lot, as it's called, is still patriarchal and has room for enormous error. The wrong young man may draw the slip of paper, and the community can be stuck with him for 50 years. Or a deserving candidate may not even get nominated. The young elected bishop may harden over time with the responsibilities of the position, driving others from the area with his strict or harsh rules. But generally, the Amish know each other well. They know each other's families and how the nominees were raised. They've known the nominees since they were born and can wager a good guess 
how their personalities will develop to fit the role of bishop. Part of the lot is democratic. Part of it is left to chance or placed in the hands of God. The chance element eliminates the polarization, targeting, antagonism, and lobbying of our system, from electing a department chair to electing a president of the United States. And it doesn't cost any money. Think about that for a moment. No campaign contributions, no slogans, rallies, no propaganda, no emails, texts, or phone calls, no laws to suppress the vote, no campaigns to get out the vote. Doesn't that sound dull? I'm ready for dull. I've seen enough political manipulation, had enough excitement in my life. There has to be a better system than one that targets one of the least numerous and most vulnerable populations of our society. Can we rethink this mean-spirited approach to elections, please? I know. Chuckle, chuckle. You can't change anything like the election system that has been in place all these years. But change often happens slowly, one small group at a time. The first time I attended the Catholic Church in this area, the priest stood up in front of the congregation and said that next week they would elect the parish council. I will stand at the door. When you come into the church, Please whisper the name of a nominee in my ear. I will write the names on slips of paper that we will place in a hat. Then we'll draw the names out of the hat. The lot, I thought. Now, if the Catholics have adopted this Amish tradition, could the Methodists be far behind? I was out digging in my garden this week, trying to get in the last of my cool weather crops. I always fret about my cabbages at this stage. I garden organically, so what to do about those pesky cabbage worms? The go-to device is now wire hoops with a row cover. But have you ever tried to anchor in one of those by yourself on top of a hill with a constant blowing wind? Not so easy. So I've tried everything else, from bubbling fountains that attract birds to old pantyhose slipped over the cabbage heads. This year, we're in luck. I'd once read that a solution of raw milk sprayed over the cabbage was enough to deter the moths and worms. But I've never been able to buy raw milk from any of my neighbors. Nope, not even for use in the garden. Totally illegal. I wasn't even going to go there. I could imagine the sheriff pulling into my garden and handcuffing me in the middle of my cabbage patch. I could just see the headline in the newspaper, State Poet Laureate Arrested Over Raw Milk Garden Remedy. Well, this year, thanks to the wisdom of our state legislature, I will be taking up legalized organic pest control. Years ago, I had a garden at my house in Iowa City. 
I had a double lot and a nice sunny spot for lots of rows of cabbage and many other vegetables. A few blocks away lived a friend, a visual artist, who had introduced me to the work of such artists as Frida Kahlo and George O'Keefe. Jean and I love the way that O'Keefe used bones and skulls in her artwork. I'd read about O'Keefe living in New Mexico and finding skeletons of animals on the side of the road. We wanted some bones to sketch and write about, but we lived in Iowa. Where could we get a couple of skulls? I bet I could get a couple of skulls at the locker, I told Jean. Gentrification had not yet hit Iowa City, so there was still a slaughtering house on the edge of town. I gave them a call. Skulls? Sure, how many do you want? Price? No, just take them, just take them. We're butchering cattle on Tuesday morning. Come in in the afternoon. A quick trip down to the locker on Tuesday afternoon found me at the counter asking for the skulls I had reserved. Out they came. Two freshly butchered skulls with a tag swander pinned in their ears. Wow, I hadn't quite fully visualized the Iowa skulls. New Mexico, this was not. Here were the two skulls, still bloody, ears wet, eyes staring at me, tongue sticking out. I placed them in a plastic bag and drove home. Jean, I said on the phone, I have the skulls, but they came with everything on them. The works. We're going to have to clean them up. Let's boil them, Jean said. The meat will just fall off the bones. Yes, but I don't think I have a kettle big enough, and that will stink up my house to high heaven. How about boiling them in a cauldron outside your house? Double, double, toil and trouble? Okay, okay, let's bury them, then pull them up later. This was a plan. I didn't think it would sit well with my neighbors if they saw me out in the middle of the day burying bloody skulls in my garden. Don't worry, Jean said. We'll do it at night. That night, we dressed up in black T-shirts and jeans, slipped the skulls into an old wire basket we'd bought at the auction for a dollar. Without a word, we quietly stole out into my garden with a couple of flashlights and spades. With our feet, our hands steady on the handles, we pushed the spades into the rich black earth, digging a huge hole many feet down below the surface. Then we lowered the skulls on a chain, leaving a few links above the soil line to mark the spot. After that, Jean used the bone imagery and many of her famous pieces of clay sculpture. I wrote this poem, a pantoon, a poem with repeating lines, for we never repeated the experience, and as far as I know, those skulls are still buried in the garden. Two skulls. We hope to sketch their bones, but do not want their meat. The stench floating up through our house for days. So tonight we open the cold October dirt and the moon shines down 
through the scarecrow's eyes. The moon shines down through the scarecrow's eyes, and the cow skulls lower into the garden holes. Duck up in spring, flesh-stripped, worm-clean in the April haze. The bones, cast in clay, become our vessels. And the cow skulls lower into the garden holes, their eyes staring through us, still in place, tongues bitten in two. The bones, cast in clay, become our vessels, our study of form, texture, color, tone. Their eyes staring through us, still in place, tongues bitten in two. In silence, we lean against our spades, our study of form, texture, color, tone. Then draw the dirt back over their eyes, like shades. Two Skulls from my collection, Heaven and Earth House. So don't forget to look for our new name and new logo. We're Mary Swander's Buggy Land on both Substack and wherever you get your podcasts. Look for the buggy with the little window on the side, and please don't pass us on a hill. And that brings our episode to an end. We were produced by Rick Brewer of Brew Ha Ha Audio Productions in our studios on Main Street in sunny Fremartintown. We had support today and would like to thank the Cinepid Fund, the Iowa Arts Council, the Werner Ellithorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation, and the Calio Levine Fund, and all of you who have sent us individual private donations. We welcome your support. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe and never miss a podcast. Become a member or simply go to our website, agarts.org, and hit that red donation button. See you next time. Brouhaha. Double, double, toil and trouble. <laughs>